This is the Sales Gravy Podcast. Hi, I'm Jeb Blunt, best-selling author of Fanatical Prospecting Objections, Sales EQ, and Inc. And I'm here to help you open more doors, close bigger deals, and rock your commission check. Welcome back to another episode of the Sales Gravy Podcast. On this episode, we're going to be spending some time with Allison Walsh, who is a vice president with a company called Advanced Recovery Systems and has an amazing story about selling and coaching. And this is real life, folks. This is people in the trenches that are doing it every single day. And as you know, if you listen to this podcast, these are my very favorite conversations to have rather than, you know, some talking head or some you know expert. I want to talk to the people who are actually doing this. Allison, welcome to the Sales Gravy Podcast. Oh, Jeff, I am so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. So let's start off with uh, you just telling us a little bit about what you do, and then I want to move into your story. How did you end up where you are now? Totally. Absolutely. I'd be happy to. So I am the vice president of business development and branding for advanced recovery systems. We are a national behavioral healthcare company. We started in the central Florida area. I was actually employee number two hired nine years ago, and we are a thousand team members strong. We've expanded into six States. We'll be in 10 by the end of the year. So we provide inpatient substance abuse treatment and mental health treatment as well. We've also launched a mental wellness application called Nobu. So we've really expanded significantly and um, I've been honored to be a part of it from the very beginning. So you've been uh, you've been instrumental in building this sales team uh, from the ground up and I know that you're still building still expanding but it, but if we're if we're just you know, just take a minute and, and list you know keeping it real like this is not where you came from. I mean you weren't like a sales career. I started off in sales I'm thinking about sales I'm doing sales. Sales sort of found you rather than you finding sales. Can you tell us a little bit about how you ended up in uh, in a role where you're coaching and developing salespeople. Sure. It's been an amazing journey. And I think it's really allowed me to learn and grow over time. And in my career, I started more on the nonprofit side of behavioral health when I was 18 years old. And I knew that I loved helping people. I loved connecting people with resources. I actually went to law school thinking that I wanted to fight the insurance companies and make sure people had access to care. During that time, I realized like, I do not want to do this. This sounds awful. And uh, somebody that had had hired me to actually speak at an event back in the day came up to me and said, is anybody in your board of directors looking for a position in community outreach? I was like, well, tell me more. This sounds fascinating. And so that was really my entry point into it. I raised my hand. I said, I am, uh, get me out of this law school thing. And so while I finished my degree, and started um, on the community outreach team uh, with the University of Florida and Shands, I, you know, realized that like law was not going to be where I headed. And so I was there for about a year and the people that I was working with uh, were just phenomenal physicians. And I knew that there was probably so much more that I could do on the business development side of things. And there started to be these rumors that were floating around central Florida that a private treatment center was going to be opening in our community. And at that point we really didn't have it. And I love helping people. So here's, you know, tugging on my heartstrings again. And our doctor from UF was actually recruited to be the, the physician to start the center. And he brought me with him. And so literally it was dirt and dream. It was a leap of faith, leaving a very stable, consistent business development role to jump into creating something from scratch. Um, and that was really it. At that point, I was like, okay, well I can be this, you know, direct 
director of business development for this single center, but our founders had really big dreams. And so after meeting with them, I said, wow, this is something that not only is going to push me just in the immediate future, but it's going to give me so much opportunity to grow if what they're saying is actually real. And uh, I trusted it and it has been an unbelievable journey. So I went from, you know, a team of one to, you know, our, our sales team right now at this point for the business development side is pushing 50 and uh, we are across the country and it's been just an amazing experience to grow and learn, but I have had to learn it all along the way. And that's why I'm so grateful for, you know, individuals like yourself and the sales gravy team and, and everything that we've had to learn. We've had great coaches alongside of us. So maybe walk me through some of the, uh, the, the, the lessons that you learned early on about we'll call it the care and nurturing of, uh, of sales talent. So I, and I, you know, I, I think everybody, especially leaders like you, we all kind of go on that journey where we, we start off. I know when I started off as a young leader, I didn't really know what I was doing. And then I got a sales team and suddenly it's like, okay, I have a whole team of people. Now what? And a lot of the people that on the team had a lot more experience of being salespeople than I did. So I had to kind of learn on the job and there were some lessons along the way that helped me become a leader. I'm just curious about you in terms of starting with a team of one and then building this team of 50. What did you learn about this, this, this idea? I mean, I guess the concept and the, and just doing it of building and nurturing a, a high performing sales team. Well, everything starts with trust too. And I think that one of the reasons that I've been able to be successful in growing this team and yes, leading people that had way more experience than me when they came into our org was being that vulnerable leader and saying, you know what, I don't know everything, but I am willing to learn and always being open for feedback. We stay very nimble and very fluid in our organization because we realize that things are constantly changing and there might be better ways of doing things. And so we've always been very open to looking at it through a different lens. Um, but you're absolutely right. Nurturing talent and retention in the sales profession is is very important because otherwise it's like a churn and burn you can just have that revolving door and we pour so much into our people and I'm so proud of the fact that I have so many people that were literally some of my first hires that are still doing this job with me and we've been able to cultivate that talent I think a large part of it is that we've made it a very clear pathway to excel in our organization there is a nice ladder for them to climb it's very clear our, our expectations are crystal clear they know what they need to do we are constantly coaching and developing them along the way. It's not just like when they get here and they get their onboarding training, we have a level up training. We have a leadership and training program um, so that we're cultivating new leaders that we've got strong leaders on our bench all of the time. And we're just pouring resources because yes, financials are an important part, right? Salespeople are definitely driven financially, but in our world, we can't pay commission, right? Because we work in healthcare. And so we have to find other ways to really incentivize people to stay, right? And so pouring into them and personal and professional development is something that we can do and we do on a daily basis. And so I think that's been a really big part of it. The other thing that I think is really important to note is that no matter what leadership position anybody's in, nobody led through a pandemic before we all had to, right? And so we all had to learn how to be extremely compassionate leaders and to be there for our people. And you know, most of my team is still here and I'm so grateful for that, but we wrapped our arms around them and we supported them in so many different ways. And a lot of the people that work for us are in the, in recovery themselves. They are passionate people that have walked the walk and talked the talk. And so making sure that everybody was okay, everybody had support resources, that we were coming together as a virtual team as much as we possibly could to support one another um, and that we continue to create opportunities to give back to our team members 
years, I think has been a, a big part of our success. I, I, I like the getting your arms around them. And I think that's super important. I, one of the things I always loved about being a sales manager is I felt, I felt like I had my own tribe and th- they were, this, these, these were my, this was my team. And I, I, I wanted to get my arms around them. I wanted to know about them and their families and what was happening with them because for me, it was if someone's having a bad night, the next day they're going to get up and talk to a customer. And if we don't take care of them between the time that they're having a bad night and you know they're, they're, they're talking to a customer, that conversation could go very wrong. So it was always being there for them, thinking about that support that you were giving them and being aware, I think, being in tune to something's not right here. Let me go ask the question. Let me go find out uh, what they're, you know, what, what they're dealing with. Now, I want to take a step back into the career pathing because I know as, as a vice president of sales myself, I was in a situation at one point where we were getting some turnover. And this is really a conversation more for executives, but we were losing our salespeople because they, they wanted more and we didn't have a place for them to go. The, the, the ceiling was, in our world, make as much money as you possibly can, but after that, we don't have a place for you to go. And, the, the, and, the, and, and to, to compound that error, we were bringing in leadership from the outside of the organization. So all of these salespeople who were working every single day in the trenches, who thought maybe I'd be a sales manager, they were getting someone from outside the company who were coming in and being their manager. And so we were losing people along the way. And it became a real issue. This was one of those periods of time like we are right now where there weren't a lot of people to hire. There was really low unemployment and we're losing people and we're going to hire new people. That's tough. Like being able to have someone who's been with you from the very beginning is a really powerful thing. So what we did was we put into place, as you said, these clear expectations and we created multiple paths for for salespeople to climb and more than anything started investing in those salespeople, teaching them leadership skills and putting them through leadership classes before they were ever ready to be a leader. So we had that bench strength. And I got to tell you, for our organization, it was a total game changer. It changed everything. Retention suddenly fixed itself. People were happier. They felt like we really cared enough about them to give them opportunities. And they could see that there was a, there was a level that they could get to. And it quit being all about money, and it started being a lot more about human beings. And I just, I'd like for you to talk a little bit more about the iteration. Like, how did you get to that point? Because for us, it was sort of looking in the mirror and realizing we had a major issue. It sounds like for you, you know, as you went through this process of building your team, it kind of happened naturally. Uh, and I'm just, for other people who are listening who may be working in organizations like yours or maybe in big organizations like mine, maybe you have some advice for folks thinking about how do we do career pathing for our sales organization and build that that bench strength. Absolutely. And so it really, I can take us back to about four and a half, five years ago, we had uh, shifted how we were selling, right? As we continued to grow as an organization and we were opening multiple centers, we could no longer really expect everybody to sell everything really well, right? So we decided to really hone their focus, attach everybody to a facility that they would master their messaging and really be able to market. But what we needed to do was, was put directors in those roles, right. To really own that facility team and then to have reps underneath them. When we went through that process, we moved a lot of people in title into director roles, but we didn't necessarily equip them with everything that they needed. And really that's when we first called sales gravy is like, I wanted to have a director's retreat. I wanted our directors to start to get this higher level sales management training. Um, and that's really kind of the journey that it, it all was like the, the precipice or the, just the tipping point for us was that. 
after we realized how thirsty they were for knowledge and that they were so receptive to this is when we really started to say, okay, this isn't just about our directors, right? Like we need to be doing more sales training at the different stages and levels of people's careers. And so that's when we really decided, okay, this needs to be a monthly experience for them. We need to just have a really consistent process. When you have consistent processes, you can really measure outcomes. You can forecast accordingly. You've got benchmarks for people. And, and so we realized like that was a really big piece of this. When it comes to creating the opportunities for the ladder, right? And, and really having those pathways for people. Not everybody wants to be a sales manager, right? And I think that's the other piece too. So number one, we would much rather you know, promote from within and, you know, fill our leadership positions with individuals that have been exceptional uh, team members that want to be leaders. But we also realized that it was really important to create other pathways for people to continue to feel like they are being poured into, even if they don't want the responsibility of managing humans, right? Because that's not everybody's thing, right? Like, and, and we've had people that have moved into director positions that have quickly said, you know what? I just want to go back to carrying a bag. Like I'm good here. So, you know, it's, it's making sure that we're able to retain not only those that we want to eventually lead teams, but that we're able to continue to pour into people. And so, and that has been again, very fluid as we, you know, identify new resources, tools, trainings, things that we can do for people. We're doing it right again. And it was having to be very flexible during the pandemic on how else we were going to be able to do this. We used to bring everybody in for retreats and train them in person. And now we're doing this virtually. And so, you know, rolling out more resources for one-on-one -on -one coaching and so that people really feel seen, valued, and heard. When you can create that type of an environment in your company, whether you're big or whether you're small, it will definitely increase your retention. People will be happier at work. And, you know, I love the stats around just happiness in general. It's happy employees are 39% more productive than unhappy employees. And so you're going to get more out of your people. They're going to love their jobs. You're going to create a culture of support and uplifting others. And that type of energy is contagious. And that's what we want here. We want people to come and stay for a while. We want them to love their careers here. We want them to develop personally and professionally, regardless if they ever want to be a leader. And so, you know, it started way back when, you know, and we've, we've loved working with Beth on a monthly basis ever since then. And she's been phenomenal. We've continued to provide more training for our directors. We've continued to up-level the training that we have for all of our reps. And now we've got a, a really wonderful thriving team. So it's been an evolution, but it's been a, a really, really beneficial and worthwhile investment in all of them. That's, that's beautiful. Seen, valued, heard. I think so powerful. And our own experience with this was we, we, we realized that we had a lot of top performers and the top performers were looking at, I want to be a sales manager. They would say that. And one of the reasons why the company had gone to hiring people from the outside is we would take a top performer, put them in charge of a team, and then they would blow the team up because they, were, they weren't really built for being that type of a leader. They were really good at individual contributors, and they, and they wanted more, but they knew they wanted more, but they just didn't they – couldn't, they couldn't fit it into their world. And we didn't have a whole lot of places for people to go. So we created this uh, – this, we call it the Sales Manager Mentor Program. But essentially what it was – is we would take our high performers, they would get nominated, but they would be saying, I'm raising my hand, I want to do more. And we would put them in this program. And part of the program was it was a whole year, so they had 12 months, and we would we taught them the, the financial side of the business, P&Ls. We brought in uh, leadership uh, experts from outside the organization to come in and speak to them at retreats. 
and they uh, they had a, a, a mentor in the organization that didn't work in their area that would mentor them. So another leader, and didn't necessarily have to be from sales, just another leader that mentored them. But they also had to mentor a junior salesperson. So they had to do that. And by the way, to be in the program, they had to keep their numbers up. And what we found was the seen value heard. First of all, their shoulders went up. And as soon as they got into the program, they were like, I'm valued. And then, and then they, they felt like we, we noticed them, we, we could see how well they were doing, and we gave them a shot. So, so we got like 90% of the value of the whole program was just putting them into the program. But by giving them someone to mentor for a year, they couldn't break anything. What we, what we were able to do is get a number of those folks, and about half of them in the middle of the program would say, you know what, I thought I wanted to be a sales manager. This isn't for me. I want to do something else. And at that point, it was a lot easier for us to identify what that something else might be that would be the right thing for them. Some of them said, you know what, I'm really happy with what I'm doing. I just wasn't happy in the moment. I thought the grass was greener, but turns out it's not greener over there. This is a great place. So they, they started valuing what they were already doing in their current job, and so they stuck around. But it was giving them the ability to see that and and opening the door to it that made all the difference in the world. And it saved us a lot of pain for both the in, individual and for us of getting them and putting them into the wrong role. Uh, like you said, not everybody wants to be a leader. And in some cases, people, they, they say they want to be a leader because that's what they see as their next step. And, and I, so I think that, I think that um, seeing value heard, that's really powerful. Uh, one of the ways we say it at Sales Gravy is we say that everybody matters. That's one of our core value statements, everybody matters. And I think you have to, to look at the world that way. Now, I want to take a step back into, into your, what you sell. So you said we can't pay our salespeople commission. So there's a whole lot of folks that are listening to this podcast right now, probably driving down the road someplace. And as soon as you heard that, you were like, whoa, I'm not working for a place that doesn't pay me commission. And, and you're also not selling a physical product and you're not really selling a product where you're changing, money's changing hands. You're, you're selling a concept, you're selling an idea, you're selling trust essentially. And you're, so can you walk us through what your salespeople actually do just so the folks that are listening can get a flavor of, of what you have to do as a leader in your world? Yeah, absolutely. And so our our reps are focused on creating relationships with treatment providers, hospitals, clinicians, psychiatrists, primary care docs, basically anybody that's in a position of influence when somebody is in need of help. And so we are focused on them calling us first, right? We want the referral so that when they have a patient or a client in need that they call us so that they can gain access to our treatment uh, centers or our outpatient therapy options for them. And so because of the fact that we do what we do and we're selling treatment, we're selling recovery, really we're selling changing lives, saving lives, restoring families and communities, it has to be built on trust. And so our people are, are very much focused, of course, on prospecting, on creating new relationships, but it is an account maintenance, very much so. And going higher, wider, deeper is always our philosophy because it is truly based on the referral. Our success is based on other people trusting us and giving our contact information for that patient to get help that they need. So it's a very special type of sale and it means a lot to us to have the trust of the partners that we do. It's all, all relationships. So that, that 
that one-to-one relationship you have with the clinician mm-hmm. matters because in that moment when that clinician has to refer a patient, you want them thinking about you. And if you're not there and your competitor was there, they may think about your competitor. So you think about, you know, people by you, uh, this is it. Like this is that relationship matters more than anything else in the world. So from, from your standpoint, as a coach, in a lot of your, a lot of cases, you're really coaching the human element of engaging people, uh, even even through prospecting. So let's go back a couple of years because I'm just interested because you know the a lot of our clients who are in that space, and I know you you had some conversations with Beth about this as well. This got infinitely harder during the pandemic to maintain and build those relationships. So I know we're, 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 we're a lot of this, we're getting back into, you know, into the hang of, of meeting people face to face. I know in the healthcare industries, it's, it's lagging behind because there, there is still a lot of protocols we have to go through. But what did you have to change as a leader and as a sales team in order to build new relationships and maintain those relationships so you could get the, that referral stream or keep the referral stream moving during a period of time? when literally a wall went up and you could no longer meet face-to-face? It was a Herculean effort. (laughs) And so I'll start there. Um, But, you know, you figure I had a team of about 25, 30 reps at that point, and none of them signed up to be SDRs. Like, let's just start there. They are face-to-face people. They are so good at doing their job one-on-one that when that wall went up and then it really became, we've got to dial, we've got to have just the increase in volume. We have to be, you know, just in front of people virtually as much as we can. What are we going to do to stand apart from our competition? We pivoted fast. And so it was good because we had already started laying a little bit of the groundwork to have an SDR team. And, and we call them our community outreach specialists are entry level. And so we had some of that already there, but every single person on my team, all of a sudden became an inside rep. And so we invested quickly in video technology. So BombBomb became our best friends. And so we were sending video email messages at every opportunity we could because none of our competition were doing that. So we had our video messaging, we had our paddles with their names on it with the time that we wanted to meet with them, like it worked, right? And so actually our business development team during the first year of the pandemic, our opportunities increased by 38%, which was unbelievable. Like to consider like what we were going through, we had to shut down centers, we had all this other stuff going on, but business development was the lifeblood of the organization because we were just out in front and we had to increase the volume of accounts that people were working with purely because a lot of the accounts that we were normally calling on were shutting down. So like our business partners that we would get referrals from in, you know, normal course of business, we're going out of business. Therapists that used to be easy to get a hold of were shuttering, right? And they were, you know, working from home and still a lot of them haven't even opened up again um, in person and they figured out how to do business virtually. So that's how they're staying. So we had to stay super nimble. And again, like, I think this is where I just am so grateful for every single person that's on our team. We have a very strong startup culture and mindset in our org, right? We've grown rapidly. We went from, you know, party of one over here to a thousand in a very short period of time. And we're expected to grow substantially this year. So people embrace change and they embrace growth here, which I'm grateful for, because I think if we would have been in another company that maybe was a little bit um, too tied to the way things always used to be or how they've always worked, it wouldn't have been as successful. But thankfully, we have a lot of very open-minded people here. 
So we had to increase volume. We wrapped our arms around technology. We pivoted to online events faster than anybody else in our space. So we were creating more experiences to drive people to virtual events that, you know, were helpful, right? Whether it was how to cope with burnout as a, a practitioner to how to support loved ones. Like we were driving volume to webinars where our competitors weren't. They hadn't really dabbled in that space. Maybe they were hosting in-person events, but nothing virtual. And so then they didn't pivot as fast as we did. We had like 10,000 people come to our events during the pandemic. So, you know, we just figured out how to stay ahead of it. And I think that's why we were able to make it through. And as you said, people are figuring out that this isn't going to go away, that virtual works and that the the ability to do online events allows you to touch more people. We'll, we'll, we'll move into a, a hybrid where we're doing a little bit of both. I call it blending in my world, so I blend those things together. But like you, we, were, we made the, a pivot very, very quickly, way ahead of our competitors. We found the exact same thing. We were able to accelerate our business faster than ever before, uh, but it was, able to, it was the ability to be nimble. And I, I go back to what you said, seen value heard. So with a sales team that – that will run through a wall for you, it's a lot easier to get that sales team to very quickly pivot. And salespeople overall, and don't shoot the messenger, are not really good with change. So if you change anything with a sales organization, you tend to bog down for a little while. So, but that the, the leadership component really matters in terms of trust me, right? Like you said, trust in the very beginning, that's so important. When you said we need to we need to make this change. We need to do video messages. I'm positive that when you first said we're going to do video messages, you had people looking at you like you had tentacles coming out of your head. Like video, I'm not getting on video. But then they, they, they leaned into it and they got it done, but they, they, they tried it because they trusted you. And when we look at, at surveys of employees and we, we ask them, what would cause you to follow this leader? So what would you what would cause you to follow this leader's coaching? What would you what would cause you to follow their, their direction? Or if they ask you to do something tough, why would you do it? It really comes down to two things. It comes down to does this person have my best interest at heart, right? So everything that you describe says you live in a world where people look at you and say the leadership here has our best interest at heart. They're investing in us. They're providing training. They're, 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 they're making sure we have support. They're, they're here with us. And the second thing is, do I trust you to put me in position to win? So relationship and trust. And by the way, if we, if we draw a parallel there, exactly the, the motions that you're doing as a leader to create relationship and trust with your people, if they emulate those set same behavior when they're dealing with your prospects, they're going to get the same results. If there's relationship and trust, you know, is this person, does this person have me and my patients? Do they have their best interests at heart? And are, are they a person that can get my patient in position to win? In this case, recover. So I think that's really a, a, a powerful message for leaders in understanding how relationship matters, especially in a world with salespeople where the things we're asking salespeople to do in a lot of cases are really hard. We're asking people to face rejection. We're asking people to look into a video camera and send a message, which is not easy. We're asking people to get past their own fears and their trepidation. And even the people like you have people in your organization that are really passionate about recovery and they're in this role because they, they believe in it. Even then they didn't really come from a sales background. They came from another background. So you're asking them to, to, to trust you that this is going to work, follow the sales process. And, and, and I think that's like, it's hard for leaders to get that, but that's really the basis. That's when I, when I went, go back and look at what I learned as a sales leader, I loved having my own tribe. Like I, this was my team, but it was that. 
I needed them to be willing to go through the brick wall when I asked them to go through the brick wall. And that was they were only going to do that if they believed that I truly cared about their well-being. And part of that's understanding who they are, taking time to learn about their values, learn about their goals, learn about the things that they, their aspirations, making sure that they see that you really want the best for them along the way. Now, you've, you invest a lot in training, in, in, uh, and which is part of your culture. Train, 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 train. Uh, but you also have a passion for coaching. So let's, and I know that you, you have a, your, your passion for coaching goes be, well beyond just your, your work at Advanced Recovery Systems, but I want to take a, a step into coaching salespeople and, and what that's like. So there's, there's basically four motions for a sales leader that matter most. Everything else is pr- pretty much academic. And that is train to teach people what to do, observe them doing the things that you teach them, then you coach them in the moment to help them apply the knowledge that you gave them in training. And then you're giving regular feedback so that there's course corrections along the way. Everything else, it's just, it's, you know, paperwork. So you've done the training and now you've got to move into coaching. Talk to us a little bit about what your philosophy is on coaching and why do you feel it matters so much? There's so much here to unpack, so we'll try to keep it brief. But here, the real thing here that I see is that, yes, you can train them, right? But you're absolutely right that you have to see them doing it. And you have to help them, even before that, get their heads in the right space. Because you are absolutely right when you said earlier, a lot of folks that are in our org are not coming out of sales school, right? Like they didn't have that professional training in in college or they haven't had sales experience in the past. And so we have to help them overcome their biggest barriers, which is usually what's between their ears, right? And so we do a lot around mindset. We have to build up their confidence. We have to make sure that they understand that whether they have trusted us yet or not, that the data also reflects that what we're teaching them and coaching them on is legit. And so helping them and and breaking it down every step of the way, assuming nothing. I think that's one of the other lessons that I have learned over the course of my career is assume they are a blank slate, right? Or if they had any experience, you might want to always be wary that it might not be the way you want it to be now. And so don't trust that prior experience is going to actually translate into your, your industry or your business or your company now. And so coaching for them looks a lot of different ways for us. Number one, we have had one-on-ones with our people every single week since as long as I've been here, which is the whole time, right? So nine years of weekly one-on-ones with our people we show them how to make progress, right? And we look back, right, just for context, but we're always looking forward. No, None of the leaders on our team are afraid to jump in the car or afraid to get on the phones, to observe call blocks, to roll up our sleeves and do the thing, right? And I think that's another piece that our team really appreciates and values is that all of us are willing to do that work with them to help them be successful in their role. And you really can't catch things in the moment by getting a recap Uh, from a rep. You have to see it or hear it or experience it. And so we make sure that we have enough coverage, right? So every team has a director, every director has a regional, every regional has a a national, right? And so we make sure that there's enough people. We also have a full-time trainer on our team. We also have Beth who rides with our team. And so in addition to just the extensive onboarding training and coaching, we're also then sending reinforcement out to make sure that it's actually being done the way that it needs to be done. Um, And so for us, that's a 
big part of it, but also having those conversations with them about like, what lights you up? What are you loving about this job? Where can we help to really fill up your cup more, right? Because everybody's motivated by different things. When you can spend time and really identify what your people's strengths are individually and leverage them, magic happens when they know internally that this is who they are as a person and they have everything within them to be able to be successful in this job there is a whole new level of confidence and belief and commitment to excellence that we see across the board so we go right now we're in the process of going one by one by one through the entire sales org to make sure that every person knows innately what they bring to the table that if they lean on it they're going to shine as a salesperson and that yes they are in the right place so it's fun to, to also bring in some other tools and training and coaching to help them really elevate personally and professionally. So last week I was at the Augusta National Golf Club at the Masters Golf Tournament, and I'm sitting on the practice range. They've got a little stadium there, stadium seats there, and I'm watching all of these golfers come out of the clubhouse. And these are the greatest golfers in the entire world. We're not talking about, you know, people who are middle of the road. These are the best. You don't get invited to the Masters unless you are the top of your game. Elite athletes. Every time one walks out, they've got a coach with them. Their coach is with them, and they're going out on the tee. Now, the coach can't play golf nearly as well as the people that, are, that they're coaching, but every one of these elite athletes has a coach. Why is that? because coaches help you elevate, right? Like you can't see your blind spots all of the time. And if you know you could be good or you could be great simply by adding a coach to the mix, why wouldn't you be great? We have this philosophy that runs through our entire organization of be 1% better tomorrow than you are today, right? Well, sometimes you can't see it yourself and you need that person in your corner to help you identify, help you fix whatever needs to be fixed, but most importantly, help boost you and make you the best that you possibly can be. So coaches are instrumental at every stage and phase of the game. I always have coaches in my corner, right? So I want to make sure that my people always have coaches in their corner at any given point in time. You know, we've had poor sales coaches. We've had organizational leadership coaches. I've had a positive psychology coach. I've had all of these different people that are in my corner. And you know what that does? Like, not only does it make me feel really good and well-equipped to do my job, it enhances my confidence to a level of like pure excitement because I can't wait to share that with others, right? So when you create this culture of like coaching is normal, right? Like a coach isn't a bad thing. You're not doing anything wrong. I think that's the other thing is that a lot of organizations don't send in a coach or a trainer or somebody or supervisor until something's wrong. Do it every step of the way while things are right. You're going to get people to accelerate and build momentum. And when you build momentum, they become unstoppable. When they become unstoppable, they're amazing at their job. They love their job. They're happy. They keep going, right? Like, and that's the kind of thing that I want to lather, rinse, repeat all day long. But that comes from having that mindset and that philosophy of like constantly improving. You can't constantly improving, but improve by staying where you are. You have to have somebody that's pushing you. And that's really what coaching does. Yeah. And, and I think that's the, you, you've nailed it. One of the misnomers is coaching is about fixing problems, but coaching is also about reinforcing the right behaviors. Sometimes you're doing the right thing, but you can't see it. You don't even know you're doing the right thing. If you have someone who says that's, that's exactly what you should be doing. That feedback helps. Coaching is also about opening people up to, to additional or new possibilities. In a lot of cases, I'm sure as a coach, you'll find a person struggling with a problem and it's really a myopic problem, right? They, they can only see what's in front of them. And as a coach, because of your experience or in a lot of cases because you don't really have a dog in the hunt, right? You, so you're not emotionally connected to the problem. You're able to step back and say, well, 
Yeah, there's lots of options for you. There's lots of alternatives here other than this one path that you're seeing. Maybe we should explore those. Let's take a look at what those things could be. I think it's also challenging people to um, to see the implications of their behavior. So I've always found that people will only change for two reasons. There, there There's a, a, a negative or positive implication for themselves to change, or there is a negative or positive implication to another person for their behavior. And, and, and sometimes people just can't see the implications. They're just bogged down. And as you said, a coach basically holds up a mirror that shows you a picture of who you are, really are. A coach, um, they, they take a spotlight and they shine the spotlight on the path of where you should be going based on what, you know, what the outcomes you desire or the talents that you possess. A coach opens up all of those things. And the reason that those, those players have coaches is exactly what you said. They can't see it on their own. They need someone else to be there next to them. And if you think about it, if, the, if, if elite athletes hire a coach or bring a coach in to help them, in sales, we are the elite athletes of the business world. And we are the people that drive everything. Like you said, the business development team during the pandemic, that was the tip of the spear. And it was creating the opportunity and the revenue generation for your organization that kept all of the other people in the organization healthy and strong. It, it mattered. That's what salespeople do. You need a coach sitting next to you. And you've got a, a real passion for coaching. I know that this is something that is deep inside of you. And it sounds like not only you do you coach, but you also have people around you that coach you. Tell me about your passion for coaching and where that came from and why that drives you. Sure. It actually goes back to really my childhood. I grew up as a competitive baton twirler of all things. So, and a, a world class one, I traveled all over the world competing. I was a soloist. I trained six to eight hours a day uh, at certain parts of my life. Most of the time I averaged about four hours a day throughout my entire youth. So I was really familiar with having coaches in my corner. I was also very committed to having um, a standard of excellence that I held myself to. And while I had great trainers that helped me with the skills that I needed to excel and win and thrive, I also came in part or came to this point in my high school years where I, the mindset stuff started to really creep in for me. And so my parents found a trainer and a coach that worked with me on mindset and everything in my life changed at that moment, learning how to control the mindset allowed me to flourish in ways that I never thought possible. And at that moment, I realized, wow, there's something to this. Fast forward a little bit. I ended up competing for Miss America and I competed four times to win Miss Florida. Finally won Miss Florida the year that I had coaches surrounding me, right? Funny how that all works out. I then continued in my career. Whenever I started to thrive, coaching was there. But then there were a lot of people that were turning to me at that point saying, I want to experience some of the things in life that you've experienced. Can you coach me? And so it was a really gentle introduction into coaching back in 2007 is really when I started. And I, I really worked with a lot of young women initially. And, and that was really my primary population. I love the fact that you can create accelerated success for young people simply by just getting a few steps ahead. And that momentum carries them through adulthood. And so I loved working with that population. Over the years, it also transitioned into business coaching, brand coaching. It was always people that were a little bit behind where I currently was that I could show them the way and coach them on their blind spots, show them what they can do better, amplify their impact, all of those wonderful things. And so I've worked with over 250 one-on-one -on -one clients over the years. I absolutely love it. I, it gives me another sense of and source of joy 
to help people realize how truly amazing they are. It's like the light switch effect. It's like the, all of a sudden the light switch goes on. They realize, holy crap, like I am actually amazing at what I do. And now I've got everything packaged well around me to help me elevate and really shine that spotlight on me the way that it needs to be, you know, shining brightly. And so that's been really helpful. Also, again, kind of going back to having coaches around me, because I have this commitment to always being better and always showing up as the next best version of myself, that keeps me investing in me. So whether, you know, the company is investing in me, whether I'm investing in myself personally, I always have a personal development budget and I stick to that every single year and I am refining my skills. I'm learning new things because I want to go and pour into everybody else, right? Like nothing makes me happier than helping people be successful, whether that's at my job at ARS, whether that's in my consulting company and coaching people one-on-one, it is the most incredible thing to be able to go back to people that I've served for years and say, you know what, I got something new for you. And so that's why I continue to invest in me. Number one, it, it helps me continue to evolve into the person that I want to be, but it also helps every single person that's in my world, whether they're a client or whether they're a team member. Uh, I love that you have a personal, uh, uh, personal development budget. I've, I've always had the same thing, invest in myself all the time. I think it's so important that you take time to learn and to grow uh, because if you, if you stop learning, you do truly stop growing, you become stagnant. And, and one of the, the, the mindsets that kind of bothers me in sales is people who say, well, I've already, I've already learned all that. And, uh, and I'm, I'm always like it when I'm standing in front of a group of people and I've got some person who tells me at the begin with, I've already learned all and they come back and they go, I didn't know that. And I go, great. But, but my message to them typically is, just because you learned it in the past doesn't mean that you are using it. Most of the time, what a coach is doing is helping you see what you already know, but you've quit using. I've got a couple of questions for you on coaching. So I want you to, to think about a time when you were surrounded by coaches, you had coaches, and your coach is, is like coaching you, and you're resisting. Like you're, it, whatever the case may be, but you're resisting, and how you got past that resistance to, to become more coachable. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, I've had a lot of those situations, so I'd like to think of myself as a good client, but I'm probably a challenging one at times um, because I'm very strong-minded and I've, you know, I feel like I have a good sense about me. And sometimes when it's met with, um, you know, maybe an opposition, it's not so easy for me to overcome sometimes, but I, I actually had a, an amazing organizational leadership coach last year. Um, her name is Dr. Laura Gallagher. She's phenomenal. Like she was brought in by NASA to help rebuild culture when everything happened with Columbia. And, um, but she's incredible at what she does. I value the lesson and the space she gave me to work through defensiveness because I was noticing that some things were coming up and she gave me just the most beautiful way of seeing it. But it took me probably a month to really own my own stuff, right? She's like, listen, anytime your defensiveness comes up, whether it's in the workplace or whatever you're doing, whatever you're working on, when you're coaching your team members and maybe you're not getting what you want and you start to get frustrated, she's like, you got to pause, you got to check yourself and you got to put your defensiveness and your emotions in one of three buckets because they're either challenging your likability, they're challenging your credibility, or, you know, they're ch challenging your competence, right? And so it was like, oh, right? Like, okay, like, this makes sense to me, right? This is, I can do this. But I really, really struggled with that at first. And so she had to really help me through that. Um, she also helped me through, you know, I think all of us as sales leaders needed to do a checkup from the neck up uh, when it came to just how we were doing 
through the pandemic. And she really helped open my eyes to that. I was experiencing some burnout that I was, you know, needing to do more for myself to take care of myself. And, you know, I'm kind of that person where I'm just like, Oh no, I got this. Like, let's just keep going. And she's like, you have to carve out the time for you. Even the transition, right? Cause we're all working virtual. She's like, even just pausing and having a transition between, you know, wearing your work crown to putting on your mom crown and rolling out of your office to take care of your three kids. Like you have to do something there. And I was like, I'm fine. I'm fine. And sure enough, she was right. Like as soon as I started implementing some self-care into the end of my day, I was able to show up as a better mom um, and wife and everything else that I needed to at the end of the day. But she really like, she challenged me and it was great. I needed it. Very good. Now, second question. So I just want to go back to your baton twirling days. Yes. Um, and, <laughs> and so this is, I mean, you're, that's a lot of practice and mm-hmm. you've got coaches around you and you said you got coaches that were working on your mindset and that was a game changer. And I'm, I'm sure the same thing when you were, um, you know, Miss Florida and working in uh, Miss America. So tell me about some of the, the mindset shifts that your coaches helped you with that were game changers for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had to remove the emotion from a lot of what I was doing, right? And so what would happen to me, it was like my my go-to was to self-destruct, regardless of how much I had practiced and prepared and done everything that I needed to do, trained, put the hours in, right? Like I would get to that point of having to walk onto the floor, right? Which is like our competition floor. And my mindset would just eat me alive. I would go completely negative. I would go to like, I'm going to mess all this stuff up. I'm going to drop. I'm going to do all these things, like all of the bad. So one of the things that, um, the, the mental coach did with me right out of the gate was, was reset that mindset by helping me with just positive mantras and positive affirmations that I could have on replay, because you can't say, negative and positive things to yourself simultaneously. So when you can stop it, right, it's like that disruptor, right, to help you kind of get through it, you can move into that next stage, which is actually on the floor. Because once I was on the floor, and once I, you know, that music started, and I started like I was good, but it was that like 30 seconds to 60 seconds of just that walk up, that was my, my mindset blocker, which I have now been able to really use the same process and, and, and practice with my team members, because I had so many team members that would be like about to walk into an account and their nerves got all in their way. And they started getting in their own heads and all of this stuff. So they all have mantras now too. And it's great. And I, I know, you know, it's fun to be able to share some of those things with them, but that was a big deal for me. Uh, because when I learned how to shut and, and shut down the, the negative self-talk, when I learned how to quiet the inner critic, when I learned that, you know, if I could move through it to that next stage, I was going to be okay. And I could trust myself and the preparation that I did to get to that point, it changed everything for me. How often do you find now when you're coaching people that it's you, you, that you're beginning with mindset, like you, that people have that inner voice that's, 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 that I guess playing that defeat loop in their head, or they're telling them something about themselves. that's not true. How, how often do you find that that's the core foundational problem that's holding them back? It's almost all of the time. Like I find that they're rare birds that don't have a mindset challenge or something that's in their way. More often than not, we have to start there. We have to unpack anything that is holding them back. You know, if they have fears behind, you know, selling or going into certain types of accounts or doing one-on-ones with their leaders or whatever it is, we have to get to the root of it. It's like an onion, right? You got to peel back the layers and figure out what's really going on on the inside, address it and give them techniques and tools that they can use so that those don't become their Achilles heel. 
cycles. It happens, right? And it also happens at different stages, right? I see it happen right after promotions when people are like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can hit these higher metrics. Oh my gosh, like, should I really be a leader? Oh my gosh, you know, it's like all these different things. So we have to do the work with them to empower them and equip them with what they need to do to get to that next level confidently, right? And so it happens all of the time. We do a lot of mindset work. I do a lot of mindset work with my one-on-one clients too. I mean, I feel like we spend probably 60, 70% of the time there. And then that also, you know, transcends into everything else that we do later. And it helps me get them across the finish line because a lot of people are okay with doing the work, the preparation, right? They'll do everything in advance, but the moment you have to really shine brightly or step into a new level for yourself, that fear comes back in, that imposter syndrome comes back in, that lack of confidence or any limiting beliefs from their past show back up. And so that's where as a coach and a trainer and a mentor, when I know those things about them, I can help navigate them through it, right? I can coach them as they walk into an account by repeating the mantras they've identified for themselves. I can get on the phone with them and make sure that, you know, they're not going to get in their own way before they pitch for a big, you know, big account. I can have those conversations with my clients before they hit publish on their new podcast or, you know, send to their publisher for their book deal. Like I can do those things for them because I know them at that level. And anybody that doesn't do that inner work, those inner, you know, I don't want to use the word demons, but those fears, those things are going to come back if you don't know how to address them. And so it's about silencing them, channeling them, addressing them and moving forward. Yeah, I, you don't know this about me, but I'm a big horse person. So that's, I only have two hobbies. I sell things and uh, because really selling is my hobby and, and uh, horses and, uh, and I'm horses are, are like, it's a natural organic thing for me to spend time with horses. It's just the one place where everything comes together. I'm, I've always been confident around horses. I can, no matter what people scare people to death, I just feel like I can put my hands on them and things are going to be okay. And there's a real, a, there's a real analogy between working and dealing with horses and working and dealing with people. But as I've gotten older, and uh, and I'm a little bit more fragile than I used to be because I used to get on horses and nothing would, you know, I was not afraid of anything. I've really had this this issue that you're talking about with this mind game that I have to play with myself when I'm on a horse now and say I'm heading for a fence and we're going to jump a fence. And 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 just recently I've, I've noticed that my, my, my thinking will become negative. Like I start getting afraid. Like what happens if we fall? I know, and it's not like I'm playing this loop. It's just like this, emotion, this whole emotion comes over me. And you have to be very, very careful with that on a horse because if I start thinking that things aren't going to go well, the horse can pick that up. Emotions are highly contagious between people and horses. And then you start changing your body. You start looking at the jump. You start losing your concentration, and 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 you'll crash. And this happened to me a while back. I, I would say a while back, about a month ago, I broke my foot over a, a fence because of that. I, I, I didn't have the mental piece right, and I got... It was, and it just happened in a split second, but it, I got hurt. And then I, as soon as I got healed, I had to go get back on a horse and I had to go run one of the, the hardest runs I've ever been in my entire life. And what I had to do was mentally get right with, I'm going to think positive. I am not going to think about what could happen. I'm only going to think about what is happening. I'm going to be in the moment. And I'm going to, I'm going to tell myself that I've got, like, I'm, I, you can, I can trust myself. I know what I'm supposed to do, and I'm not going to get hung up on these things. I'm going to look ahead, not look backwards. I'm going to look down at the jump. I'm going to look where I'm going, and uh, and I went to this. I was a judging in this national competition that was, you know, really like leaving all 
all um, all uh, protection of your personal you know personal self, your physical self, completely aside. I mean, it was you know literally living on the edge of living and dying on these horses, running as fast as you can, jumping over these big things, and it all worked because of the mindset piece. And right before I, I did that, I was digging through my library and I found this book that I'd purchased in, the, in my 20s when a lot of the things that you were talking about in terms of that, that, uh, that cr- I don't know what you call it, um, but it's self-destruction in the moment. Uh, I'd, a, a coach of mine had recommended this book called ne- you, you Can Never Afford the Luxury of a Negative Thought. And it's just a book of affirmations, but it's this really thick book and I picked it up and started reading it and reminding my, myself of how critical mindset is to your survival in some cases in this case you know you know it could be a you know you could you could have a broken neck and never walk again if you get it wrong so i think it's a powerful message for salespeople who are making a video message or salespeople who are about to make a cold call or you're walking in and you got to close a deal and i i think that probably more than anything that i think it's important that like you go watch golf, same thing happens to golfers who self-destruct on the back nine on you know at the Augusta National during the Masters. We've seen that happen, or someone who is twirling a baton or walking into a big deal. The one thing I think is true is that no matter how accomplished you are, I'm you know I've written 14 books as an author. I still have self-doubts. Like you said, pushing the button and sending the book in. I've been there, done that, you know, and then I start thinking I'm a terrible author. I'm awful. Nobody's going to like my books, you know. And so I think that people at every single level face those same demons. And if you are facing those demons, you're not alone. And it does pay to have someone who can coach you. Even my coach, this is 30 years ago, who coached me, had an impact on me in the last month because the book that she gave me, I still had in my possession, picked it up, remembered the conversations, remembered the lessons, and was able to put those into practice and have the time of my life. Uh, yeah, I, I think that you know, if we're if we if we leave people with one thing, um, that and I'd, I'd like to get your your point of view on this, but everybody needs a coach. Absolutely. And I agree with you a thousand percent on that. They are going to have a lasting impact on you. Just like your coach from 30 years ago had an impact on you recently. My mom actually was cleaning out uh, one of the closets at her house and found a couple of the books that my mental coach had given me and he had like written on the inside and it just brought back that flood of emotions and, you know, really felt so full circle for me. And, you know, you'll pick up things from different coaches that you're going to then be able to take and, and transfer on to others and really impact other people. And it's such an incredible experience. And again, just adopting that mindset of like the whole point of being alive is to evolve into the complete person you're intended to be. You can't do that without support, without coaching, without guidance, without training. And so being open to it and doing things a little bit differently in order to step into that next level with confidence is a game changer for people and always being receptive to it. And I think you made a really good point. You're incredibly accomplished. I find myself to have accomplished a lot of the things on my list as well, but it doesn't mean that I can't continue to learn or continue to grow or continue to evolve or put other people in my corner that are a good fit to help me get to that next stage of growth for myself. And so I really hope that everybody that's listening right now considers this and it's not always about fixing weaknesses. It's about elevating strengths, right? Like it's really about elevating who you are and what you bring to the table so that you can find better opportunities for yourself, better opportunities for your company, your business, whatever it may be. But you, you open yourself up to a whole new level of awareness that can really transform 
where you are now and where you're going in the future. Wonderful. That was a great message. I got two questions for you. These are both fun questions. Question number one is, what is one thing that you did in the pandemic that you wouldn't have done otherwise had there not been a pandemic? Oh my gosh. I mean, I went to work in way more days in my pajamas than I ever did before. <laughs> like, I think, I mean, I had to go dig out my work pants. Let's just put it that way. Like I just lived in my pajamas. Um, you know, and I really, uh, you know, I got into yoga, which really wasn't a thing that I did before. So grateful again, another tool in my toolbox, very grateful for that opportunity. So that's been a, a benefit, but the work pants are back. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Beth calls that party on the top business on the yeah. bottom, I mean, business on the top yeah. party on the bottom. Yeah. Right? Um, so, uh, okay. And then the last question is what's one lesson that you learned during the pandemic that you'll be taking with you for the rest of your life? Uh, it's about everybody else, right? I think before the pandemic, you know, I was really focused on, on hitting milestones, on, on new benchmarks, on new accomplishments, on, on winning awards, on, on all that kind of stuff. And I realized that none of that matters if my team's not around me right? None of it matters if we're not doing the work that we're doing. Nothing else matters. And so I really shifted from self to others during that time. And how can I show up in the way that I need to show up for everybody else? Because I don't have it all figured out and I don't pretend to, but what I can do is encourage people along the way that it's going to be okay. And we're going to get through this together and that, you know, we can persevere and be successful. It might look different. It might feel different, but it's going to be great, but we've got to just continue to make the moves and, and move forward. And so I really noticed that um, over the course of the last couple of years was just that perspective really changed. It was definitely a change in perspective. I, I, I'm certainly not the same person who, uh, who came out of the, the, the pandemic who went into it. Uh, people might want to get in touch with you to talk about what you do as a coach and to learn more about maybe even working for you at some point in the future, which mm -hmm. I, I know that you're always recruiting great people. So can you tell folks how they can contact you? Absolutely. So I've got a lot of different ways, but if you're interested in joining my amazing team at Advanced Recovery Systems, you can go to advancedrecoverysystems.com. I'm also super active on social media. You can DM me on Instagram at any point at Allison Walsh. Um, we've got a couple different podcasts you can tune into as well. I have one called the She Believes She Could podcast, and then there's Dear Mind You Matter. So if you're looking to just learn more about what I offer, um, that's always available to you. So would love for you to check out allisonwalshconsulting.com as well. Beautiful. Thank you, Allison. This was a great conversation. Allison, thank you so much. And we'll see thank you next you. time on the Sales Gravy Podcast.